We here are all such innovative people. So I am telling you, if you want to change the world, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to build the Iron Man suit, you're at Georgia Tech. You can do that. If you want to play theme music during your convocation speech like a badass, we're at Georgia Tech. We can do that. I am doing that. And I am doing this. What is this, you might ask? Well, this is the podcast known as What's the Good Word. Originally started as a Georgia Tech podcast. It is now a podcast covering all of the Metro Atlanta sports. It is your one-stop shop for anything and everything Atlanta sports-based. I'm your host, Joshua Julian, and today this is Falcons Tuesday, which is not an alliteration. We're probably going to come up with a different name, but we're covering the Falcons today. we got some stuff to talk about. I kind of covered some of it on the last podcast. We're going to be diving into what the path forward is for the quarterback position and what to be expect in the NFL draft. What should we be looking at in the first couple rounds? Where might the Falcons go? But um, if you want to contact me about this show, if you have a something to say about what I had to say. If you think I was wrong, if you think I was right, if you want to bring up an ulterior point, we can have a conversation about it either through email or on the air. You can email me at joshuajulian26 at outlook.com, joshuajulian26 at outlook.com. I'd love to hear from the fans. And also, if you want to follow me on TikTok at sadatlantafan1113, I cover prospects every day there. I talk about baseball prospects, I talk about football prospects, I talk about basketball prospects. Right now I'm doing a big board for the 2024 NBA draft and I'm doing my top 10 prospects in every MLB team's farm system for the 2024 season. But let's get into this Falcons talk. What will the Falcons do at quarterback? It is the most important question of this offseason because as we saw this past year, not having a great quarterback can derail what you are attempting to do at the ML NFL level. Desmond Ritter was supposed to be the guy. He was supposed to just press the buttons, right? We gave him a, a Ferrari. So the saying went, we gave him a Ferrari. We gave him all these weapons. And he was just supposed to do his job, uh, throw it to the right people, don't make any stupid mistakes, and the, everything would be fine. And unfortunately, he made a good amount of relatively dumb mistakes. And the offense did not turn out to be as good as it could have been because also the play calling was struggling. But this year, the thought, the general innuendo is that the Falcons will be going for a new quarterback. Desmond Ritter did not show a ton last year to convince anybody that he was the quarterback of the future. So we are left with the age-old question, how should the Falcons build this? Should they build through the draft or should they build through, should they grab a guy in free agency? Now, building through the draft normally is the answer that I would go with because you get them on a cheaper rookie deal. Uh, you have five years of that rookie deal until you have to upgrade and, and pay them off or pay them so that they will stay. And you get a guy that you can kind of develop for your own system. The problem with that this year is that the tiers of quarterbacks are very defined. And I struggle with what will happen if the Falcons don't get a tier one quarterback. So the tier one quarterbacks are pretty consistently labeled as Drake May, Caleb Williams, and Jaden Daniels. Now, Jaden Daniels is sort of borderline. It depends on who you're talking to at that moment in time. Um, obviously, he's been in college for a while. He's always had decent production, but there was always some questions about 
you know, what, um, how much of it was scheme. And there was always a couple, you know, well, he's skinny. Well, he doesn't make the greatest decisions. His arm isn't the greatest. He's kind of been come to, um, be considered a tier one quarterback. There's plenty of mock drafts with him going number three. So I think that he is definitely in that tier. And I think he's a very good prospect. If he was there at eight, I would take him if I was the Falcons. The problem then becomes, what are the odds that either of those guys, because Drake May and Caleb Williams are not making it out of the top three. They are definitely getting taken up there. So if the Falcons want one of those two, they will have to trade up. Normally, I am against trading up because putting that much behind a single prospect very rarely works out because there are so many expectations on the guy. It's almost unfair to expect him to live up to that. The only one that I can think of, at least in Falcons history, is Julio Jones. And part of that was because the Browns didn't get almost anything from the picks that they got. And also Julio Jones was one of the three best receivers of the last 20 years. So either way, if Jaden Daniels does drop to them at eight, I can see them taking him at eight because that would be a great pick. He would definitely be best player available. But the issue then becomes, do you trade up to try to get Jaden Daniels, especially if Drake may Caleb Williams go one, two in whatever order? Because if those guys go one, two, there's plenty of other teams that could use a quarterback from the Las Vegas Raiders to um, a couple different teams. I'll have to really start doing my homework here soon, but there's plenty of teams that could use a quarterback or at least a younger quarterback to kind of increase the competition. So the Falcons might have to trade up regardless. Even at number three, that's where the Patriots are taking drafting. The Patriots could use a quarterback, right? So if, if somebody trades up to get the other of Drake May and Caleb Williams, you then have number three where they could use a quarterback too. So the second tier typically is considered J.J. McCarthy, and that's it. Because J.J. McCarthy has every tool in the book. He's got a good arm. He's a good athlete. He's a leader, right? He was like 27-1 and one in college. He has all everything on the resume. The questions with him revolve around what's the upside there? Because he was in a run-first offense, run-first and run-second, he was not asked to do a ton. The passing game was relatively simplified for him at Michigan. He didn't have to read the defense a ton. There's some examples of you know, the passing plays that are called for him. It's really one read and go, two reads and go. Um, they tried to make it as easy for him. But there's even examples. I was reading an article from Ted Wynn over at The Athletic, and he broke down. There's examples on tape of uh, the defense kind of showing a look that wouldn't mesh well with the offensive play that was called. And so the coaches on the sidelines are the ones that call in the audible. So they did not ask a ton of J.J. McCarthy at the line of scrimmage. It was a very pass or play-action heavy attack, which is normal for the NFL, so I'm not digging him for that. But... You know, there's there's not a ton of examples of J.J. McCarthy being the guy, right? The the guy at Michigan was always the defense of the running game. J.J. McCarthy was a cog, a very important cog, but a cog of the machine. So do you take him at eight? I would say no, right? There's, there's going to be way too many other players that are worth that number eight pick as opposed to J.J. McCarthy. So then the question becomes, does he drop all the way to the second round? And I highly doubt he drops all the way to the second round. So if you can't get those top four guys, do you feel comfortable taking a Michael Penix Jr. or a Bo Nix or even a Spencer Rattler or Michael Pratt and going with them as your quarterback of the future? My vote is leaning towards no. There's been... I have not been a Bo Nix fan for a while. I never thought that he was... I don't think he's a very good quarterback prospect because Oregon's offense was so simplified. It was... He was not... He was being asked to do less than J.J. McCarthy, even though he was throwing the ball more. It's one of those offenses similar to, like, a Tennessee quarterback, right? There's, there's just so much that's being done by the coach to exploit the hashes, to 
you know, spread the defense out, basically make it as easy as possible for that quarterback. And Bo Nix, when he was in another offense, was not great at all. Michael Penix, I go back and forth on. There's a lot of stuff sort of fundamentally that you question, especially for a guy that's already 24 years old. There's just, there's so much work to be done in terms of navigating the pocket, dealing with pressure, kind of sticking with his throwing motion. He's been known, especially under pressure, to kind of fade back, not transfer all the way through. And it really limits his ability to to throw the ball. Now, he's got a great arm. He's probably the best deep ball thrower in the game, or in this draft class by far. There's touch on that. I think he's got touch to all of the levels. I just, those, the pocket questions and the mobility questions I think are pretty big ones because he is definitely a pure pocket passer. But if you have a pure pocket passer who can't deal with pressure in the pocket, then you're asking for a lot out of your offensive coordinator to kind of scheme around that. So because of where the Falcons are in the draft, I would vote for the Falcons going with a free agent quarterback, which normally is a very interesting proposition because the free agent quarterbacks tend to be a lot of backups, right? There's not never really a quarterback that you can sit there and go, oh, yeah, for sure. I think that that guy is a no-doubt, like, number one. I have no questions about his ability. There's significant questions with almost everybody that is coming into this free agency class at the quarterback position. But it is an unusually deep quarterback class in this free agency period. So number one on the list by far is Kirk Cousins. And if I had my pick of the litter, if there was no other team competing with me, I would take Kirk Cousins. And there's two reasons for it. And I'm, I'm saying this as if I'm Terry Fontenot. There's a couple reasons. One, I think Terry Fontenot knows that there is no way he gets a chance to pick another quarterback. All right, this is his, going to be his third or fourth season as GM. He outlasted the head coach. And you're not going to get another chance to reset this offense, right? I mean, the obviously, there was something behind the scenes where Desmond Ritter was Arthur Smith's guy. Arthur Smith had a pretty big hand in picking that because he does no longer has a job, but Terry Fontenot does. So if I'm Terry Fontenot, I'm going to free agency. And I'm and even if it was me, I'm going to free agency because these guys, you know what you're getting. Um, there's no questions of will he be able to this translate? Will this develop? You know what, what's going to happen with this? You know what these guys are more or less. Like they've shown on NFL tape what they are. They've shown what they can do in different systems. And you can kind of take one of these guys knowing that they'll be good for two to three years and you can keep your eye out for a mid-round quarterback like Spencer Rattler or even, you know, Michael Pratt or a Cam Ward type if he comes out next year and develop those, those, those guys with really good traits behind them, do a similar version to what the Green Bay Packers have done for the past 20 years. So Kirk Cousins would be the number one pick because he is so he's been so successful he's a very very smart quarterback he rarely makes horrible throws um his aggression levels are very low he doesn't push the ball downfield a ton but i think that that's something that i can get behind because i I, the last thing i want to see on this offense again is turnovers because that was the biggest question with the team last year the other one that i really like is baker mayfield i think i talked about him on the previous podcast but i think baker's going back to the buccaneers now if he doesn't go back to the buccaneers he might become my number one pick because he is 29 so there's more of a future with him i think he is a fantastic leader a great voice to have in the locker room guys follow him for whatever reason i don't again i don't know him personally but he he is able to galvanize a team and kind of get the entire team behind him after everybody else it becomes you know there's a lot of spot starters backups maybe a a 
tick above Taylor Heineke, guys like Tyrod Taylor, Jacoby Brissett, even Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold has age on his side, so that's why he's listed. Um, or a Gardner Minshew. The one that intrigues me the most is Russell Wilson. And that is because, one, Russell Wilson is one, right? Russell Wilson has a ring. Um, and you can attribute that to Pete Carroll all you want. The fact of the matter is he has put up very good numbers before. And I, I'm trying to figure out how much of what's gone on in, in Denver has been the coaching, right? Nathaniel Hackett clearly was not a good head coach, considering how little time he got. I mean, they moved on from him so fast, even though he was one of those coordinator darlings. And even when Sean Payton came in, I mean, Sean Payton publicly was criticizing the job that Nathaniel Hackett did. He was publicly saying he wanted different people. And he pretty quickly started blaming Russ in the media for a lot of the struggles. So how much of it was Sean Payton was a egotistical head coach who, you know, I have to do it this way and that's the only way I know. And Russ was just a bad fit. Or how much of it was Russ has really declined? I would be intrigued to find out because even when Sean Payton was blaming Russ, Russ was still playing moderately well. He wasn't fantastic, but he was kind of doing his job within the system. And the biggest reason that I would go after Russell Wilson if he does get cut is he has said, I am willing to take a veteran minimum because the Broncos are going to be paying him so much if he gets cut. You can kind of convince him, hey, we'll give you like this min- veteran minimum contract for you to come in. You're already gonna you're gonna be making like 35 million from the Broncos anyway, so you you can take this. We now have a ton more money to build around you, especially if we cut like Taylor Heineke, and you're only adding him on a veteran minimum. You've still got 30 something million in cap space to go add that number two receiver, add some help on defense, right? Fill out a couple holes here and there. And now Russell Wilson's got a fantastic supporting cast with a new hotshot offensive coordinator and new head coach. You can kind of build around that idea. If that's the way that it plays out, that is by far my number one. Now, we don't know if he's going to get cut, um, and we don't know what everybody else's contract demands are going to be, and we don't know what the draft is going to play out as. But if I was building a plan right here, right now, I would be keeping both ears to the Russell Wilson situation in Denver because Russell Wilson has a chance to be an elite system quarterback with Zach Robinson. Zach Robinson can make it easier for him. He's going to play three wide receiver a ton. Just make it easy on Russ. Lean on the run game as much as you can while also making some very simple reads and attack the sidelines because that's where he thrives and enjoy having a quarterback that is a top 15 to 12 guy on a veteran minimum deal. That is the ideal scenario. If that plays out, Falcons offense is, is looking real good. Now switching to the second part of today's program, we're going to be talking about the NFL draft. If the Falcons, and this again, this is assuming the Falcons don't go quarterback in the first round. They sign a, they're going to sign a quarterback in free agency. What are some other options for the Falcons? Because everybody's heard about Jaden Daniels and Drake May and Caleb Williams. That's kind of the big talking point among Falcons fans. What about everybody else? Like, what are what are some other prospects that could pique the Falcons' interest? Well, first of all, there's a great article by Josh Kendall over the Athletic, and I'm going to give you some names from there that I really like because I've started to do my homework on this draft class. So I know, especially at the top of the first round and the second round, I know some guys that I really like. And the first one that is listed by Josh Kendall is Joe Alt at a Notre Dame. Now, this is one of those ones that I doubt happens, but it actually would be a great example of you know team building. Joe Alt is a left tackle out of Notre Dame. The idea behind taking Joe Alt would be 
he's so first of all he is the highest floor of any offensive tackle prospect he has been elite at notre dame for like three years now the projection and like the upside isn't there he's not the greatest athlete but he is a technical wizard he hand placement is perfect everything is great he's like peter skaronsky from last year except he's bigger and you can think he can handle tackle but the idea would be he is the succession plan to jake matthews jake matthews is awesome but the odds of jake matthews continuing to be a stalwart in the offensive line is grow lower and lower by the day because he is getting up there in age he's played so many snaps and I don't want to say he's gotten bad because he's still a, a passable left tackle. It's just he is no longer the same left tackle that he used to be. So that would be an interesting sort of succession plan pick. The other ones listed, um, Terry and Arnold, cornerback out of Alabama, would be a great number two next to A.J. Terrell. Um, really good athlete. Probably some room for growth. I wouldn't take him at number eight personally. I don't think he is a number eight type guy. If you trade back and pick up Arnold, I think that's great, but there's way too many other guys that you could be having at number eight. For example, Malik Neighbors and Rome Odunze. If the Falcons really want to get that number two receiver out of the draft, use another first round pick on a skill position, this is a great draft for that because there are some insane wide receivers. Obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't wide receiver one but he's not getting out of the top four or five but Malik Neighbors is a very well-rounded wide receiver six feet 200 pounds led the FBS in 20 plus yard catches he's able to do it over the top underneath he can get the yak yards he can beat a guy deep he's a great route runner he is fantastic and then Rome uh, Roma Dunze is very similar to Drake London in that he's a big body 50-50 ball winner down the field over the middle Good hands, wide catch radius coming out of Washington. He's 6'3", 217. If he runs a fast 40, I highly doubt he actually gets to number 8, but we'll see what happens. Both of those guys, if they're available, would be interesting pickups um, for those very reasons. I tend to lean more towards, hey, let's take an edge rusher, because the Falcons' two main like sack artists last year, the guys that led the team in sacks, are both free agents, and the odds of bringing both of them back are not the highest. So Jared Verse personally is a fascinating pickup to me because he is such a well-rounded edge prospect. I tend to prefer bigger edge prospects, guys that are went with strength, went with technique. I'm not the biggest fan of speed guys. So like for example, last year Will McDonald the fourth, I did was not a fan of him because he was like 240 pounds and he run with one with first step quickness and speed and maybe i'm just scarred from vic beasley i'm not 100 sure but i tend to prefer bigger guys guys that can win in a couple different ways with technique with strength you know bull rush um various different moves and jared verse is one of those guys jared verse is quick enough he can win with some with some quickness but he's super strong he's a, got a very very he's a very varied pass rusher um and he's been around for a while he's a little older which might be why he's not as high on some big boards but i think he's going to come in and immediately be an 8-10 to 10 sack guy with the upside for more. I also like Leatu Latu out of UCLA, although his medicals are really sketchy, so he might not be in play at number 8. But if he drops to the second round, for example, that is 100% a go. If we're talking about corners, though, Quinion Mitchell is one of my favorites in the first round. He comes out of Toledo, and he is a sticky man-to-man guy. I mean, he has been he has produced everywhere. He dominated the Senior Bowl. He's dominated at Toledo for the last like two, three years. Um, he can he's got the frame, he's got the speed, he's got the size. He could be a great number two. Other than that, I mean, it's it's a lot of alignment and 
Otherwise, you know, that if they trade back, Jackson Powers Johnson would be one of my favorite guys to pick up because he is far and away the best center prospect in this class, and it's not particularly close. He's one of the best center prospects in the last couple of years. I have talked about on my last podcast about my thoughts on Drew Dahlman. I wouldn't move back specifically to pick up Jackson Powers Johnson because, again, Drew Dahlman I think is a serviceable starter. But if he was there, I would take him. Other, you know, Kool-Aid McKinstry is kind of up and down on some um, big boards, but he's a good overall player. But then we start to get into the guys that I don't think are worth the number eight pick. So we're going to move on to the second rounders. Assuming the Falcons don't trade up for a quarterback, they will have a second round pick, potentially two, depending on if Calvin Ridley re-signs with the Jacksonville Jaguars. So in Josh Kendall's article, we look at guys like Michael Hall Jr. It's not a deep defensive tackle class, as he points out. So Michael Hall would be a good guy to pick up, although he is undersized. He's 6'2", 280. He'd be more of a pass rushing guy, I'm assuming, um, which the Falcons could use. I mean, they've got their their lane clogger and David Onyemata, and they've got some other big guys. So Michael Hall could almost be the rotational guy with like Grady Jarrett, but he would not be my first pick. I would be looking more towards a guy like Marshawn Neeland out of Western Michigan, who 6'3", 268, long arms, heavy hands, knows how to play it, played with his hand in the dirt in college. Uh, a solid bet on upside, similar to the Zach Harrison pick almost from last year, where it was like the, the measurements are there. He might just be a better pro. Uh, Kamari Laster out of Georgia is a really good, I know this is a Georgia Tech podcast, but Georgia does produce fantastic prospects. Kamari Laster is a very good defensive back um, prospect. He's six feet, 180. I mean, Georgia just produces DBs, right? I mean, there's been plenty of them that play in the NFL now. On the wide receiver front on day two, my personal favorite is Ricky Pearsall, which Josh Kendall mentions. He's six feet, 193, really good at taking the top off a of defense, contested catch guy. Not going to give you a ton in the short to intermediates, but the Falcons could use a deep threat. I think speed is severely lacking on the outside in this offense, and I think they need some help there. Um, in terms of the other, on top of that, Roman Wilson out of Michigan absolutely dominated. The senior bowl, 5'10", 186 guy, super shifty, great footwork on his um, his routes, really good at getting open one-on-one. I think he would be really good. He might only be a slot guy, so you might be able to pick him up round three, maybe late round two, don't know. But the tools are there, and again, he's a nice little change of pace because the Falcons were so obsessed last year with like tall, strong guys at the catch point. I think there needs to be a little bit more variety. Uh, the other one that I wanted to mention from Josh Kendall's article was Ennis Rakestraw Jr. out of Missouri. Um, and similar to, sorry, similar to Kamari Laster, he's six foot, 188. Um, he doesn't have a ton of interceptions, but that fits exactly with what Falcon secondary coach Jerry Gray has talked about. The reason that AJ Terrell is so great, he's such a good man cover corner. He doesn't really get opportunities for picks, right? He shuts the guy down to where they don't want to throw to him or, um, He's just gets some past defenses, but rake straw would fit. If that's what we're trying to do, if we're trying to play press man, rake straw on one side, AJ Terrell on the other seems like a great combination. Now, in terms of second day prospects that I've picked up on my favorite edge prospect is Braylon Trice out of Washington. Braylon Trice is exactly what I look for in an edge prospect. He is a big, strong kid wins with a couple different moves, really good at just bullying people straight up outright. It's it's almost fun to watch, and I really like the upside of him. So if he's available there in the second round, I would not even think twice. I would take him. Um, other guys, Jonah Ellis, Caden Ellis's brother, 
out of Utah. He's a very interesting kind of versatile guy. He's a little undersized, but he had 12 sacks last year in the Pac-12. I, I don't want to argue with production too much. And he might give you a little bit more versatility because he might be able to become almost similar to his brother in that he can drop back to cover and kind of play more of an outside linebacker type thing. Um, in terms of cornerbacks, one of the, my favorites is TJ Tampa out of Iowa State. I don't know if he would be there in the second round, but he is a he's got a great frame for a corner and he's shown plenty of man coverage ability. He is 6'2, 200 pounds, uh, long arms thick, able to bully some people at the line of scrimmage, and he's able to flip and run, so it's not like he's going to get burned if a guy goes deep. The only real questions with him is, um, you know, wrapping up and tackling, and sometimes he's a bit of a gambler, so that's why he'll be available in the second round, but a gambler is your number two, and you've got A.J. Terrell kind of doing the exact opposite on the other end, I think is a good one-two punch. And you could also take a safety on day two, considering there's a lot of talk about potentially losing or getting rid of Richie Grant. So safeties on day two that you could be looking at. Tyler Newbin out of Minnesota can kind of play all over the place, would really give you two fascinating guys to look at with Jesse Bates and him as your um, two starting corners. You've also got Sion Vaki out of Utah. I don't know where his projection is going to be, but he was a two-way player last year. He played some running back, also played some safety. He could kind of be a mystery box that you pick up and, and we'll figure out what happens with him. Um, and then to wrap it up with um, wide receivers that you could be looking at, other wide receivers that you could be looking at in the second round. Um, I like Adani Mitchell out of Texas. He's 6'4", 215. He's got all the talent in the world. I think he just needs a system to kind of bring it together, and that could be this one. Also, Lad McConkey out of Georgia. Again, Georgia Tech podcast. Don't want to praise Georgia too much, but Lad McConkey is super shifty. He could be a fantastic slot receiver in this offense. Don't want to say similar to Cooper Cup because no one's Cooper Cup, but a very a very similar type guy. He's all route running, all quickness, sort of getting getting to his spots and doing what he needs to do to get open. Um, and then the other corners I wanted to mention, Cam Hart out of Notre Dame had a great senior bowl. He's got the frame. Like I like bigger corners because I want to see somebody who can compete physically with everybody that they're going to line up against. And the final one was Kyrie Jackson out of Oregon because he is a tremendous athlete, 6'3", but he can run with the best of them. There's a lot of rawness there. The tech technique is not the greatest, but I mean, with an athlete like that, I'm similar to like Tariq Woolen when he was coming out of UTSA. I'd be willing to take him and just kind of try to simplify his role, let him kind of learn as the year as the years go on. Um, so yeah, that's going to do it for me. I mean, I probably threw a lot of names at you. I hope I didn't overwhelm you. We'll talk more and more about these guys kind of in depth as we go along. The draft is coming up in a couple months, so we'll we'll start to get a little bit more, some more answers on stuff like this, and we'll uh, really really pay attention to what the Falcons will be doing. And I'll be here to cover it once a week, give you my thoughts on all the moves. But like I said, if you do want to email me at joshuajulian26 at outlook.com and let me know if I got something wrong. If there's a player that you know about that you really think the Falcons should be looking at, let me know. But thank you for tuning in. And uh, there's only one way to end these podcasts, and that's asking the all-important question. Even though we did talk about two of their prospects and how good they could be, the question remains the same. What's the good word?